One of the things I don't like mm-hmm. is that some people that I know or that I've been around have used it as like the um the validation that mm-hmm. so the validation that if I because I succeeded, mm-hmm. well then these other people who are you know, black, Mexican, whatever, who went to jail and they keep going back to jail, mm-hmm. they just don't want to do it because they just don't want to do it. Mm-hmm. You know yeah. what I mean? And or even not even have to be different race, but just mm-hmm. people in general. So they look at it like, well, they must be lazy because you figured it out. And it's like every every situation is different. Like there's a whole bunch of different variables. Like so What's the name of Uncle Poochie's Good morning, good evening, good afternoon. Whenever this message reaches you, you listen to another episode of Six Grand Podcast. I am your five foot nine host with sophisticated ignorance, Uncle Puche. What's good, everybody? What's going on? What's happening? In? Hey, 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 family members. I know you see I have a guest, as always, as always. But would you know that this guest has been here before? <laughs> yes, yes, yes. This family member has been a reoccurring family member. I think this is your third time now being here, right? Yeah, third, third time. Third time. Okay, okay, okay. Well, this man honestly needs no introduction. Um, but since I'm not really good at introductions, I'm gonna let him give his introduction. My boy Francis, step up to the mic, tell the people who you are. Hey, I'm I'm Francis Poole. I'm uh currently right now I'm a program director of the substance use program at Solano Prison. Um doing a lot of stuff with those guys, getting them ready to get out, you know? Yeah. And the cool thing about Francis to all you all, like, what the hell? Who's this guy? Who is this ice looking motherfucker? Well, <laughs> Francis, you don't look like ice. I'm just playing. Um, and if you don't know who ice is, you're way too young to talk to us. Um, Francis is my friend, ladies and gentlemen, from The Young and Arrested. Yes, yes, yes. If you all have been listening to the Six Minute Podcast for a while, you will remember I had a good friend that I told you multiple the times has been to jail and he doesn't look like it. Here he is. <laughs> this is my friend who does not look like he's been in jail. But no, seriously, though, Francis has a wonderful story. I think we talked about it. It had to be back in 2020, right, Francis? Yeah, I think I think we started in 2020. Are we? There was two, but mm-hmm. I think one was in the middle mm-hmm. of COVID. Yeah. One was like right before COVID. I think yeah. We did one, yeah. Yeah. And the cool thing, just to give you all a little bit of insight about my man, Francis, the reason why I wanted to have him back is uh, I think it's always nice to have people who have, and I mean this in no shade, redemption songs. Like, Francis, you have lived in your short time in like a full life. You know what I'm saying? And uh, it's always cool to have people like you on here because it's nice to hear how someone can come through things, get out of things, and then better themselves, not go through things, get out of things, and then that just be the end of their life. So yeah. that's why I got Francis here, man. My man with a thousand plans and a thousand grands and a thousand dreams. Francis, dog, I could listen to your story all the time. So if I could, let's take it back, way back, back at the time. What yeah, year was so, Francis? Uh, what what so, um, I'll say like I'll say like 1991. 91? Okay. Okay. 1991. Like mm-hmm. I'm I'm like um about seven, eight years old, you know. Okay. Um and uh I just I'm at that age where, you know, you're trying to figure out what is what you still have like these these um beliefs and ideas that have been ing
um, the Fresh Prince, you know, there's all these different shows where they're showing this idea of what like the family structure looks like and what like a functional household is supposed to look like. Um, and so seeing that and then kind of seeing uh, my household wasn't so much like that, you know, so we're we're dealing with different things. I mean, my for a while, my dad was on the road a lot working. And so it was just us at home. But then when he would come back, it was just like, it was like all hell break loose because, you know, um, he had issues with, uh, you know, addiction, you know, drinking. And uh, at the time, you know, crack cocaine, crack cocaine was everywhere, you know. And so um, we're right in that era. Um, and so I think the the confusion started to, started to happen because, you know, it's the ambivalence, like not understanding what is what you're you're on one hand you're like my parents are good people my my household's supposed to be this way and then on the other hand you see around you like you're living in um like we're like i think i told you this we're living in this big apartment complex like you just go straight down just a bunch of fucking apartments mm -hmm. and you see all kinds of different things every day you see people arguing fighting acting strange you can't understand why why are people acting this way this is weird you know and then um you go to school and it's like this is in the in the the height of the dare you know days where you know they had the dogs out there they're giving out shirts that say dare with the little crime dog on it saying may i may i real quickly yeah dare had to be one of the um most um best uh intentions not the best execution programs i've yeah. ever seen in my life because you said dare and I don't even know, yeah. do the kids even know what dairy is anymore? Do y'all know what the dare tiger, lion, or whatever that is? Like, dare was a whole uh, movie. Form. Yeah. I think there's some form of it, but not, it's not, the presence is not the same, like, as it used mm -hmm. to be, you know? Mm -hmm. No, um, but no, you can, can, can I, can I, I just want to stop you real quickly just for our listeners. Yeah. Um, just to, uh, to reference. So with, with Francis, last time or the last two times we spoke, at least from the first time, when, uh, when he was speaking to us, he was giving us a whole breakdown. You're from, well, in that time, where were you living in 91 in that apartment? Uh, Bakersfield. Bakersfield, okay. Yeah. And so put that in perspective, because, you know, I'm not from California. A lot of people who ain't from California tend to think about California in one or two ways. They either think about gang banging or they think about the beaches. Because <laughs> yeah. a lot of times that's all you saw in movies, right? So yeah. you're like talking about being in Bakersville. Bakersville, can you put that in perspective? Where is Bakersville for us on the map, bro? So it's like, it's about an hour and a half from LA um, in, uh, you know, right, right under Fresno. Mm -hmm. um, so it's like kind of in the middle of everything, you know? Yeah. Um, and it's not, it's, it's similar to SAC in that there's a lot of little, little city areas within it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like you have all these little city areas and it's kind of like, um, you know, this is this part, this is this part. Um, but for us at the time, like we were just in the middle of, you know what I mean? All those low income areas. Mm -hmm. And so it was, it was just chaos, dude. Cause you know, you just, it's some just of the stuff you see in here and you're just like, what, what the hell is going on? What, which I, what I found funny too, I remember uh, for y'all who are listening, who had heard our last episode, I, I was like, yo, Francis, you're a white man. Yeah. <laughs> no shade. I had no idea that you being of 
not the black culture that you were saying like, yo, no, I, I've had these struggles. I had these problems. And I, and I stand on my ignorance right there to say like, that was cool, but not cool. But it was interesting to hear you say like, nah, man, like it, in coming up in the time period that I was living in, it was different to see like all these cultures of people and how yeah. like, cause when we spoke the first time, um, one thing that was really going around was a lot of things were what black lives matter. Uh, yeah. George Floyd. And I remember having you on, you were talking about like privilege was not something given to me just because I was white. <laughs> like I lived in a neighborhood where the environment taught me, you know, things that weren't necessarily um, positive. Now I can say this and I, and I think I know the answer because I know you, but can you tell us for the people being a product of your environment, did that negatively impact your brain or did it positively impact your brain? Um, I mean, it, it, I guess so. I guess to hit on that too, what you just said is like, so for me, it was like the privileges, the privileges for me was that like, I'm living around all these people, right? Mm -hmm. Mexican, black, um, just all different types of cultures, right? Mm -hmm. The way that people look at me is the way that is different than the way that people look at you, even though I look at us like because of where we live. I look at us like we're all the same, mm -hmm. but the difference is other people don't look at us like we're the same. Like they could look at me and it's like, and that's why even when I'll just say this real quick, but mm -hmm. even when I share my story, one of the things I don't like mm -hmm. is that some people that I know or that I've been around have used it as like the, um, the validation that, mm -hmm. so the validation that if I, because I succeeded, mm -hmm. well then these other people who are, you know, black, Mexican, whatever, who went to jail and they keep going back to jail, mm -hmm. they just don't want to do it because they just don't want to do it. Mm -hmm. You know yeah. what I mean? And, or even not even have to be different race, but just people in general. Uh -huh. So they look at it like, well, they must be lazy because you figured it out. And it's like, every, every situation is different. Like there's a whole bunch of different variables. Like, so it's not, even me talking today right now, it's not to say, like, look at how great I am. This is what I did. It's like, hey, look at this. It's possible. Like, if you stay the course, if you do what you need to do, like, and you you struggle, you suffer through it, you can you can make something out of it. I talked to a kid the other day um, on LinkedIn. He just randomly messaged me. It was one of the kids that used to be at the place. You remember when we were first working together? It was one of the mm -hmm. kids from the program. Okay he had gotten out of prison and, and I was talking to him and trying to help him. Mm -hmm. And I just told him like, cause he told me like, my girl's pregnant, this is going on, that's going on. And I'm like, bro, I'm like, so you got to make the sacrifices now if you want this to work. Like I told him it took me seven or eight years before I could start seeing things to start to change. I was like, you're at about two or three years. You gotta, you gotta put more work in that. You gotta do the small things to get what you want to get and i'm like and you got to be comfortable struggling for a while like mm. it's gonna be that way mm. gotten out of prison and and i was talking to him and trying to help him mm -hmm. and i just told him like because he told me like my girl's pregnant this is going on that's going on and i'm like bro i'm like so you got to make the sacrifices now if you want this to work like I told him it took me seven or eight years before I could start seeing things to start to change. I was like, you're at about two or three years. You gotta, you gotta put more work in that. You gotta do the small things 
to get what you want to get. And I'm like, and you got to be comfortable struggling for a while. Like, mm. it's going to be that way. Mm. You. <laughs> Huge. Like, the whole comfortable struggling. I, you know, in pre, pre-production, we were talking about this briefly. And yeah. uh, one of the things I like to always think about with the, the comfortable with struggling is uh, Jamel Hill. You remember her? Yeah. Uh, yeah, Jamel Hill. Right before she left ESPN, she like uh, stated that when younger people come to talk to her, one of the things she likes to tell them was that your comfort has nothing to do with your success. And I think now we live in a world now where I don't I I don't want to sound like I'm excluding anyone because I want people to be included. I always tell people that. But what I want people to also understand is, is that with you being included does not mean you're going to be comfortable. Because even in my own right, like I've never been to jail, okay? But I have been in situations where I have been so socially uncomfortable that I was like, oh my goodness, this does not feel good. I.e. when I moved to Utah and I had to deal with all those dang white kids. You know what I'm saying? And it was like, I I had to learn. I had to learn. I mean, for instance, I remember coming to my mom and being like, mom, there aren't enough black kids in my class. And you know, my yeah. mother was very my mother was very compassionate about it. She was very sensitive to me about it. But at the end, she looked me dead in the eyes and she told me, You're gonna have to be used to this. And I said, What yeah. do you mean? She said, When you go to work, depending on what you do for work, there won't be mean black people in that class. And that's really where like I love your story because you like you said it, it's it's not a thing where, well, Francis did it. Why can't you guys do it? It's like, no, it's not that Francis did it, why can't you guys do it? It's like Hey, I did it. You can do it too. But that's 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 the catch twenty two because people want to be comfortable, but then they also want to be successful. And I'm like, man, those two things don't go hand in hand. <laughs> and it's like people want, like for example, like when they talk about, I think you see this all the time when they talk about like overnight success. And so everybody wants to be the overnight success, but it's mm-hmm. like when you end up people, those people end up interviewing. They're like, man, I've been doing this for ten years. Yeah, I've been trying to do this. For 10 years Literally. and I finally got a break and Literally. it's not there's nothing overnight about this at all like I'll kind of like speed through that but um go ahead go, go so there's, and talk about there's this dare dare going on and you know what I mean I'm going and they got the police there they got these dogs they got they're handing out t-shirts they're handing out you know just say no don't do it and so then they're already like creating that idea and that belief in your head that like these people who do drugs are bad and they do them because they want to be bad. They're bad. They're flawed. They're, it's just who they are. That's what they're going to be, you know? And then I, I still, I think we talked about this last time too, but like the commercials, like the guys running track and then all of a sudden it's him running from the cops. And it's like, nobody says I want to be a junkie when I grow up. And it's like, okay. And um, I just find it, I find that interesting too, because it's like that mentality if you think about a mentality, like we even talked about this, we talked about this before because it was like during the George Floyd thing, we talked about like, like 56, in 1950s, 60s, 70s, mm-hmm. people thought this about black people. Mm-hmm. Those people, that generational information was passed down. So mm-hmm. those people still feel that way. That generational information. So think about drugs, right? So you probably have like, you have people who have dealt with addiction or people who haven't. And people who haven't dealt with addiction they strongly believe still have some of those beliefs that like this is a a character flaw these people do this because they don't have discipline they don't have you know but what's funny to me is like 
we had that too, that idea that marijuana was a gateway drug, mm -hmm. but, but it's not like, because if you think about it, bro, like how many times in your life have you ever been like, Hey, I'm smoking some weed. I feel like having some cocaine. Never. I feel like, I feel like some heroin, like that sounds great, you know, but think about this though. How many times have you ever been drinking? And then somebody comes around and they go, Hey, I got some Coke. I got some, this and that. Mm -hmm. So now you're drinking, you're having a good time. Mm -hmm. You're, you're not really like in that mindset of making the best decisions. You know, you're maybe ready to make some higher risk decisions. Mm -hmm. And so that's how a lot of people start using methamphetamines, you know, um, cocaine, mm -hmm. um, even some people with heroin and stuff. And so go ahead. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, but might I add just a flip side of that, just on a similarity, is that when you're in a comedy club and you've done a good set and people are like, hey, man, this is a good job. I can get you whatever you want. And you're like, oh, that's how this starts, huh? Yeah. <laughs> this is how this starts, huh? But no, uh, go, on, go along. You're correct. You're, you're right. I think, so I think on the on talking about heroin, too, it's like um, oxycodone. Uh, benzodiazepines, uh, Vicodin, Percocet. Um, so we're talking about what are the two industries that make the most, make some of the most money in America is alcohol and prescription medication. Mm -hmm. So nobody's, nobody's saying don't do these two things, even though those two things have been proven to show to lead to, to more high um, risk drug, drug uh, use. Mm -hmm. uh, DUIs, poor sexual decisions, like all these different things. Mm -hmm. It's like we're gonna put it on weed, like it's weed. Mm -hmm. Weed is what made these people act the way they act. The shame game is what yeah. I like to call it, Francis. It's the shame game because you, you, you. Out of all my friends I've ever met, you're the only person I know who's literally touched this thing like 360. Like you've gone through the atmosphere of people being like, "Well, you're shameful because you did this." And you're like, actually, no, I'm not. I was born into this. Um, yeah. Now I'm born out of this. Um, if you don't mind me saying, you have a lovely wife, you know, and a lovely son. And I've met them. And I and I and I know you said like to get to them, you had to be like, I gotta stop some of this stuff that yeah. I was into. Which it can you talk about that a little bit? Because from what you're saying is that you were pretty much a product of your environment. Yes or no? Yeah. So like, as time, I'll just I'll just keep going. But like, as time went on. Um, so I, I started to see that. I started to notice strange things happening, people acting mm -hmm. strange. And then I get to like 11, 12. And it's like, you see, now you see older people doing those things, like drinking, smoking, you know, and getting into trouble, getting into fights. And you think, man, that shit's kind of cool. Like, I, I kind of want to do, I kind of want to be involved in that. Like, because they seem like they got it. They seem like, you know, they always have, have girls hanging out with them. They seem like they're cool. Those guys are cool. You know, I want to, I want to be involved in that. And so then it started, you know, I started drinking and then I started, you know, um, you know, smoking weed. I'm like 12, 13 years old and I'm drinking, you know what I mean? And, um, and then it started with, you know, just being poor and not having anything. It was like, there was obviously these things you want. And so once I figured out, Hey, like, I can kind of be good at, at stealing. Like I'm kind of good at this. Like I'm good at watching. I'm, I'm already, I'm already anxious and I have anxiety and I'm, I'm, I'm always looking around to see what's going on. So I can kind of use that to my advantage because I can look around and scout things out, make sure nobody's looking and do what I'm doing. 
Um, but so then it kind of it kind of grew into that. And, and um, one of the things before is like in the dysfunction, like I'm 12, 13 years old, my parents separate. And so uh, that became a big thing, too, because, um, you know, it's like it's a mind fuck when your parents divorce at that age, because what ends up happening is they're not thinking about what's best. I mean, most people, maybe there are some people that think this way, but at the time, they're not thinking about what's best for the children. They're thinking about how do I get them on my side? And so it's like, on one hand, you go to one parent's house, they're talking to you, they're trying to give you what you want and get you to open up about what's the other parent doing, you know? And so you, you go back and forth between that and then um, just kind of like, uh, like I was talking about, it comes, it comes from trauma, you know, like the, the way, the way you start responding to things comes from trauma. And it's like, and I watched my dad, you know, he was a big guy. I watched him yell, cause, you know, uh, physically hit us, physically hit my mom. Like, so I've seen, I've seen the, like that or not seen, but I felt that fear of like, mm-hmm. oh shit, like, mm-hmm know anything can happen right now and just not having that um that structure you're always like in that mode of like uh hyper vigilance where you're like okay what's gonna happen next what's gonna happen next what's gonna happen next you know you come home from school one day they're cool you come home from school the next day they're not and now so then you never know what's gonna happen um and so i kind of like i kind of grew into that um that idea and what kind of what we were talking about this a couple weeks ago but like growing into that toxic masculinity as well like where it's like we're kids we're growing up it's like how do you get what you want you take it by force you use people you you do whatever you can to get to the top because that's what makes you a man you know you you rule over other people you know you um you you crush as many women as you can because that's what a man does man does you know this this and this and so you learn that like force is how you acquire what you want Mm-hmm. And you kind of accept that as that's the way to go about things. And so yeah. that was me at like 13. Mm-hmm. I think that was when I started getting into, I remember starting to get into fights at school and have mm-hmm. stuff like that happen where I was getting into fights. Mm-hmm. Um, I told you, I always wanted to be an athlete, like since I was yeah. a kid, like I just wanted to be an athlete. That was my thing. It was like, I just want to, I want to go to the league. I want, I just, it's crazy. Cause like, you know, some kids like they pick up, or they, they watch a movie and they're like, oh, like this movie, I want the characters, I want the toys, I want all that. I'm like mm-hmm. sitting in front of the TV going, man, Isaiah Thomas and Michael Jordan. <laughs> so you were watching Blue Chips. So you were watching Blue Chips and you was like, yeah, I want to be like these kids. I was watching yeah, and I went. Blue Chips, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. All those movies and then watching football and then you're just like, you just want to understand the game. You want to, you want to like. Yeah. I, this and is you so know what? Cool. If I could just- if if I could stop you right there, just because you made a great point right there, yeah. pretty much that was actually the cusp of my upbringing as well. Like I used to look at movies like the program, and I was like, when I get to college, it's gonna be like this, you know. Yeah. Or I'd be watching Higher Learning, and I'd be like, you know, like because he was a track runner in Higher Learning, yeah. And I'd be like, no, I'm gonna be like this. And I go back and watch those movies now, and I'm like, no, no, <laughs> no. But you, but but to but to make your point though, but to make your point though, everything you said about like you know like the drinking and the smoking and stuff like that, 
I, you know, fortunately for myself, I wasn't born into that, but yeah. I was in a position where like I wanted to be an athlete just like you. So I, unfortunately, I embody everything of an athlete. So the good things that athletes were doing, obviously I wanted to do those good things, but the bad things that the athletes were doing, like in any given Sunday, I wanted mm-hmm. to do those things as well. So yeah. that's very true how like the television raises you or your surroundings raise you like regardless of if like even if someone said like don't do this kid you're gonna be like um i'm gonna i'm gonna do it <laughs> like, i'm yeah. gonna do this yeah but no you're you're right you so you were watching the movies and you wanted to be an athlete yeah so i'm like i'm looking at it i'm like okay this is what i'm gonna do and i remember playing like flag football and basketball and just all the way up till and even playing tackle football all the way up till i was like 13 and then um i'm playing and uh I remember one of the teachers calls me in and she goes, Hey, um, so you, you have an F in this class. You have to, you know, up, redo this assignment, redo these, this homework, all this different stuff. She's like, you got a week. And so at the time, like I said, like my parents are divorced. My mom's, my mom works. Um, I'm literally taking care of my brothers and sisters. Like I don't have the skill or time management or understanding of like, this is what I need to do. And so that week goes by, I go back. Obviously I don't do the work because I'm not, I don't have that perspective of like, Oh, this is how I need to do it. I need to break it down. I need, you know, I didn't have anybody supporting me. So I fail. So I get called into the, and this is what's crazy. I remember they used to do this. I don't know if they do this now. I don't know with kids in sports, but I remember when you get kicked off the team, they call you to like the principal's office. Like you go into the principal's office and they're like, yeah. so we just want to let you know um, you're being kicked off the team because yep. your grades are not meeting the standards. Um, and so then I remember when that shit happened because at that point it was just literally like, the only reason I'm coming to school right now is to play balls. That's it. Like, I don't, I don't, I don't, I didn't find it interesting. I didn't find, I, I just was so distracted by everything else that was going on in my life that I couldn't appreciate like learning and, and all that kind of stuff. Like it was just, I just didn't care. So I, what I wanted to do was play basketball. And so I knew to play basketball, I have to go to school. Mm-hmm. And so once they kicked me off the team, it was just like, okay, whatever. I'll come when I want to come. Like, it's not a big deal. Um, so I think I think like that was a huge moment for me and it kind of like started to spiral me really spiral me out of control because then at that point it's like okay so now I don't care about running or playing basketball I don't care so now I'm just drinking smoking going around stealing shit and it's like and it progressed it just started progressing so it's like first we're going in stores we're stealing clothes we're running I remember one time we went into a Fred Meyer and we're and we're running in there we're we go in, we get a shopping cart. We start just putting CDs in it. Remember the CDs used to have those big, long... They had this long uh, thing at the bottom. Like, people the don't really put this plastic thing. In so you won't steal it because mm-hmm. it beeps when you go out? Yep. So I remember we filled up this cart with CDs and clothes and everything, and we just start walking out, and we just fucking take off running, you know what I mean? Dump it in a homeboy's car, just bam, out. But it progressed. Like, it progressed mm-hmm. from that to then, like... Uh, breaking into cars, stealing systems, then to uh, breaking into houses. And so then like, you just see the progression. And then it got to a point where it was like, I was a freshman, I went to school like half the year. I was a sophomore, I went to school like a quarter of the year. 
thank you for telling me this because I was like, bro, did you say this started at 13? So you're like now like 14, 15 years old, and like yeah, you pretty much are like, I don't give a fuck. Like life has yeah. just got to the like, point where you're like, mm, okay. like it's crazy because I think back at that time and I'm just like, I remember just waking up and there's just no like idea of what the point of life is. Like, yeah. what is the purpose? Like, what is my purpose? Like, I'm just waking up, going to sleep, doing whatever. Like, there's no, there's no vision at all, like of anything. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because at that point, what the one thing that I wanted to do was gone. I felt like yeah. that's off the table. So now, you know, I'm gonna do whatever. Yeah. And um, and yeah, and then it got to that point to where, like I said, it was like um, sophomore year, I did a quit again. And then mm-hmm. junior year, I went for like a month and then I was done. And so then literally a couple months after after that, you know, I um, when this dude hit me up and he goes, hey, I know a spot you guys can rob. You know, you can it's, it's out here. It's in the nowhere. No one's going to know. You know, they won't be able to get there fast enough, whatever. And so we go and we do it. And um, I remember just like. It was crazy because I I was just sitting there just like for the next couple of weeks, just like panicking mentally, like, man, is somebody going to find out about this? You know, whatever. Like, and I remember saying to myself, like, this is this is how this is how like twisted my mind was is like because I still wanted to be good somewhat because I thought that was what I was supposed to be, you know. And so I'd still be like praying, like, I'd be like, God. God, please don't let me go to jail for this shit. Like, I, I swear I won't Bro, do it again. How many rap songs? How many rap songs say that though? So I don't blame you for feeling that way. Many and rap so, songs say, please, Lord, don't let me go to jail tonight. That is actually a yeah. problem. And so then, and so then um, but at the same time, in my mind, I'm going, hey, what can we do next? You know, like what can we do next? Because that little bit of money we got was not gonna last for you know very long. So then it's like, what can we do next? And um, I'll never forget, man, I was just, I was sitting um, in the car and we're, uh, we're in Medford, which is like a little, because at this time we're in Oregon. So we moved to Oregon when I was younger too. So that was kind of a culture shock too. It was, it was way different. Mm-hmm. Um, I kind of skipped over that, but we moved to Oregon and it was, it was, it was all white people. Like it was, it was this, it was a change because we, I went from growing up and having different friends, different races, different, you know, and then I came to Oregon and just the way, the way people were was different. You know what I mean? Like it was just a different culture. And so getting into that was, was weird and difficult too, but um, yeah, but I'm sitting in the car and I remember come up and I'm thinking, man, like somebody's about to get, you know, arrested right now. Like, it's about to go down and and then i realized like shit they're kind of like closing in on me you know and then i'm sitting there and then they they come up to the window they're like are you francis pool and i'm like yeah they're like you're under arrest for for robbery and butter and i'm like no i didn't do it man it wasn't me like you know and they're like well we're gonna have to take you in even if you say it's not you whatever so they, they take me in um and uh i remember I was sitting in, like, first they took me to juvenile detention because I was 17. And then I remember sitting in there and just being like, damn, this is fucking crazy. Like, just being, there's nothing that compares to being confined. Like, it's just different. Like, 
even at that point, like they walk me in, they shut the doors and it's like, you can't leave. Like you're, you're here, you can't leave. And just that mentally, what it does to you, you're just like, I'm being held against my will. And I put in a ton of work. A ton. I, I like to tell people, you know, with me doing stand-up comedy, I literally did an interview yesterday and the guy was like, how long have you been doing this? And I was like, since 1999. He was like, but you're like 30. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> I've been dreaming about this, like formulating a plan in my head since 1999 on how to do this. I just didn't know what I was doing. And I, that's why I love your story, man, because to dive into it a little bit, you when you got when you got uh, locked up, you were 17. Yeah, I was 17. 17. And how many years did you get? Um, well, I got 70 months, which is pretty much six years. I mean, and uh, because in Oregon, they have a, a law called Measure 11, where it's mandatory minimum. So what they did was they put these lists of crimes in this bank and they said, hey, if you get found guilty of any of these first degree, second degree, you do day for day. You don't even get like they just they just dropped just to put in perspective here. They just dropped the good time down to 66. So dudes only got to do 66 percent of their time in a lot of the cases now here in California. Mm. so i did 100 percent day for day like um, but i remember i was sitting in like first they took me to juvenile detention because i was 17 and then i remember sitting in there and just being like damn this is fucking crazy like just being there's nothing that compares to being confined like it's just different like even at that point like they walk me in they shut the doors and it's like you can't leave like you're, you're here, you can't leave. And just that mentally, what it does to you, you're just like, I'm being held against my will. You know, even though they have, it's like mentally, it's, it's crazy. Like the way you feel, you know, you just feel so out of control. Like, it's like, I, I can't control anything now. Everything's being controlled by everybody else. Um, but then about three days later, they come in and because this whole time, too, I'll tell you this, this is how um, this is how I thought, too, was like, I'm a juvenile, like, I'm not going to get that much time, like, I'll get, you know, maybe six months or something, and then they'll let me back out. So I cut, they come in and they and they go, they're moving you. And I'm like, they're moving me where? And I go, well, you're going to county jail. And I was like, I can't go to county jail. I'm 17. And they're like, well, you actually can because of what you did. And I'm like, shit, you know, then I think it started to click that, like, this is more of a big deal than I realized, you know, because in my head, like I've told you this at the time, because of the way that I thought and just because of how naive I was, like, I thought, well, robbery and stealing is the same shit. Like, you're going in, you're taking something and you're leaving, like, not realizing, like, regardless of whether you intended to use the weapon to hurt the person or not still got it that's you have it and that's traumatic to them because they believe at that point that they're going to die or that something bad is going to happen to them even though even if you have an intention or you don't on using it you you brought it in there and so they take me to the county jail and they're like you know you could you could um you could get up to 17 years if we charge you with all these charges. And I'm like, so I'm 17 at the time. I'm like, I've only lived 17 years. So I'm like, you know, internally just freaking out, you know, like this is, 
this is wild. And, um, and it went like, like we talked about, it went back and forth with the lawyers. Um, obviously you get, um, uh, public defenders, which they don't really defend anything. I mean, I had the first guy, he told me, you need to just take seven and a half years. And I said, no, I'm not doing that. And he's like, you need to just take this deal now because they already know it's you. They already have the statements from the other guys, everything. And I'm like, okay. So, um, I was like, you're fired. And he's like, what? And I was like, yeah, you're fired. I want a different lawyer because you're not helping me. And, uh, so I got a different lawyer. He eventually got it down to, uh, from first degree to second degree, which then made it, um, the five years, 10 months. But I basically saw so mid County jail for like, uh, eight or nine months. And it's just like, just being around dudes that are just coming in and out, in and out, in and out guys who were in prison, but are, have parole violations or whatever. And so I'm, I'm just sitting here and I'm just like, this is fucking crazy, man. Like, this is wild. I was, um, I was like 235 pounds, 240 pounds when I got arrested. Mm-hmm. Um, when I left County jail, I was 178 pounds. Food is atrocious. Like mm-hmm. it is so nasty. It is terrible. There's maybe like two or three things that you're like, I, I can kind of stomach this, but everything so, else. So, so let, let me let me ask you this, because you said the food was nasty, so that answers half the question. Yeah. Um, but were you also? I, I imagine. I know I sound really stupid. I sound like Vlad. But was prison scary? Were you like too scared to eat? Did you not like? Were you like too depressed that you were like, oh. nah, man, I don't even want to like even move right now. Like, were you like, what has become of my life? I know I this. Think, yeah, like a lot of the times I felt that way, you know, like I, I would eat when I could um, just because you don't get very much food in general. And so like um, that was like a and because like I told you, my people were broke, so I'm not getting money on my books all the time or getting, you know, with some of these other guys are getting commissary and get different things. And um, but yeah, there was a lot of a lot of time where, you know, because you could only you can only do so much and eventually like your mind is gonna is gonna have those those periods of time where you just have to sit and think yeah. and so i just remember sitting on the bunk and just thinking like like in my mind like man if i if i end up doing this long i'm gonna be 23 when i get out and i had no concept of time so in my mind i was like i'm gonna miss so much of my life not realizing that from 17 to 23 is kind of a small period of time in the in the bigger picture Mm -hmm. of like a life you know of how long you live but um and i just remember just thinking like yeah it's like that like you said that shame and just feeling like man i'm nothing like i'm just like i fucked everything up like this is who i am you know like it started that started to become the way of thinking is like this is who i am Mm -hmm. and so now it's like okay I have to start, I have to start doing push-ups and doing dips in the cell and doing arm workouts with my celly because I'm gonna have to go to prison. Like this is, you know, this is a real deal. Like this isn't a game anymore, you know? No, no, no. I and you know what's crazy about that is like talking to you every time you you even start with this story and just knowing you personally now, I'm like, there's no way this guy went to jail. <laughs> But that's like, like I said on my episode, my audio episodes, that's why I always love speaking to you because you are a, a, an example of not being able to put a face on prison. Like, and also an example of like, hey man, I did my time. Don't try to judge me on that. Mm-hmm. But 
put to put this in perspective, you're 17 years old now. Now you're at big boy jail. Um, life has came at you really hard. I didn't ask you this in, your, in our last episode, but I'm going to ask you now. When you got to jail, <clears throat> did you ever think to yourself, this is, I'm here because I ran with the wrong crew? Or did you get to jail and think this is my fault? So pretty much were you were you blaming others when you got when you got locked up and you were sitting in the prison in the prison, you know, first night and you were sitting there, who did you feel like you need to blame more, yourself or the people you were kicking it with? I didn't think it was the I didn't think it was the people that I was hanging out with that it was mm-hmm. like that it was their fault. I think I knew what I did, mm-hmm. but I didn't want to take accountability for it. Mm-hmm. So it was like it was like, okay, I know I did this, I know they caught me. Mm-hmm. but I'm just 17. So y'all got to give me a break. Like, yeah, you can't, you can't go hard on me. Hey, this is the first time I've, this is my first uh, offense. Mm-hmm. Okay. I've done, I had done 50, 60 <laughs> different crimes. Never got caught. Hey, yo, ain't that the, ain't that the truth about a criminal? No, no shade, no yeah. shade. Yeah. But every time, I mean, me, myself personally, it, as everybody knows, the only difference between us and Francis is Francis got caught. Yeah. We did not get caught. And that came from a word from Francis because Francis put me on that game. I wasn't even thinking about it like that. Yeah. Um, but that that's crazy. Cause as you said, you were just there and you're like, gosh, this is my very first time, but you've done this 60 times. Yeah. So, it's cool. And so that's, and that's what I, I even tell, I would even tell guys that now where I'm at now, it's like, it's like, I've never met a person in my life Mm -hmm. that this was it. I've never done nothing wrong. And this one just, just so happened the first time I ever do anything wrong, I get Mm -hmm. caught. I've never seen that. Maybe it's happened. It could happen, but I'm just saying like, typically it's a pattern of behavior that gets you to that point you know because you don't just start like it's just like confidence right you don't start out like even when you're a younger dude you don't start out just going straight to like the hottest girl and trying to talk to her like you start working your way up okay how am i gonna how am i gonna do this how am i gonna say this how many and slowly it builds up so you don't just come out and be like yeah you know what some armed robbery sounds good today let's let's go get it you know it's like you start out small, you start doing things, you say, hey, I can get away with this. So then you start you start to get that confidence and that ego and that like that delusion that I can do these things and there's not going to be a consequence, you know? Yeah, no, that that I mean, listen, Francis never lied. You never lied. <laughs> you yeah. never lied right there, because if you are a young person or a younger person watching me right now, please take heed to that, please. Because, again, I I. I, I love Francis and I love his story because what he's telling y'all is 100% true. We all start off at one point in our life not sure of things. And then yeah. maybe one or two things go our way or necessarily not our way. And we become either unsure of them where we lack confidence or we become even more sure of them. Just yeah. like you said, you got away with stealing a couple of things. You got away with doing a couple of bad things. And that puts you in a position where you're like, oh, I can keep getting away with this. And so that's why I love your story, Francis, because I love the fact that we could sit back all day and blame you for what you did. But you also can sit back and be like, hey, I also know accountability wise at a certain point, it became less about the environment and more about Francis saying, "Okay, I'm just keep doing this. And I think that's that is why I have a hard time getting along with people, because as a person, Francis, I've done atrocious things and made mistakes. But I also know that, like, 
accountability wise, those are my decisions. Yeah. And so I'm I'm with you, man. I I take accountability now, but it's really hard for me to be in a room with people who don't take accountability. Now, just for continuity's sake, we're in prison now. Um, we when did we start taking accountability for our actions? Because I know you you got in there and you started doing the, um, the, the right thing, at least trying to educate yourself, but that wasn't yeah. what you did at first, right? Um, yeah, so like at first, like I said, at first, even when I was in county jail, it was kind of like, okay, this is who I am, this is what I'm gonna do, this is you know, I gotta basically I just gotta figure out how to survive this situation. Mm-hmm. And so I go to reception, I'm in reception for you know two months and then from there is where they ship you out to wherever you're going to go mm-hmm. um, and so they ended up sending me back to um rogue valley youth authority so i got mm-hmm. sent to like the youth prison mm-hmm. and so when i was when i was sitting there i was surprised because i was like i didn't know this is where i'm going to go but because i was still 17 at the time i'd been sentenced and there so i got i got arrested at early 17 because even by the time i got done being sentenced sitting in reception and processed i was still 17 i still had like a while before i turned 18 and so they sent me to um the youth authority and i'm there and i'm still kind of doing whatever i'm doing like i'm i'm just like bullshitting around and um and one of the things that's interesting is like uh and i talked about this a little bit in the book is like how we use uh it's called fundamental attribute attribution error or attribution bias and it's like uh so like if i see somebody right and they're doing some shit wrong then i blame it on their character i say hey that's their character but then if i do something wrong i say not circumstances like like i had this and this and this that happened that's why i had to do what i had to do but that person over there they're bad and i'm good it's a way to be big me little you you know what i mean Mm -hmm. and we do that with other people too it's like I have an alcoholic, say just as an example, I have an alcoholic brother, mm-hmm. but he's just had a rough life. He's trying to do better. But I see this alcoholic bum on the corner and I say, man, that guy's a piece of shit. Like he needs to get his life together. Mm-hmm. So that kind of goes in hand in hand with like sex offenders, right? Mm-hmm. So when when you go in and you're not a sex offender, the sex offenders become the target. Like you're like, okay, this dude molested somebody, this dude raped somebody, this dude. Okay, so now... I'm going to make sure I make it as uncomfortable for him as possible, which obviously like I'm I'm pretty sure most people don't think rape is cool or child molestation is cool. But at the same time, in the midst of that happening, what you're doing is deflecting the fact that you victimize somebody else too. So it makes it a way for you to not have to take accountability for what you've done. So that was like a big thing for us. Like we worked in the kitchen, we worked in the laundry, we worked. And so we would make sure dudes had old shirts dudes had shitty portions you know what i mean like and we use that and it kind of like it um it just um basically gave us a way to not have to look at what we did you know so it's Can like, I stop you real quick yeah. so i'm getting this correct again because I'm, I'm not trying to make light of your situation i'm just trying to understand what you're saying what you're mm-hmm. saying is is that inmates policed other inmates somewhat oh yeah yeah and um again i'm not trying to make light of this make fun of it but in a lot of ways like we'll see that kind of depicted on television like you know like i I guess the term a lot of times we use back in the day is punking like so so people get punked in jail Mm -hmm. that's real like people really do get punked okay 
I, again, I'm not trying to make fun of it. I'm really trying to like ask you, like, so that that is a true thing. That is like how things do really go down. Oh, I mean, yeah. I can understand that. But the higher level you get to, too, the worse it is. Because mm-hmm. I mean, even in the in, even in the environment I was in, like, mm-hmm. and I think about where I work now, mm-hmm. it's like where I work now. You have prison gangs. You know what I mean? You got yeah. Northerners, Southerners. You got uh, uh, BGF. Um, you got. Um, uh, the white white supremacist dudes like so you then you have a whole another subset of rules and subset of um of like pecking order and who's telling who to do what and stuff so it's it's totally it's even more complex the higher levels of prison you get to but for us it was kind of like that simple in there um and so like like i said it, it took the focus off of what we were doing and I remember one day there was a uh, one of the guys who used to who worked there who was like a, a staff member. I was like, I said I made a comment about like, yeah, well that that dude's a sex offender, so blah blah whatever. And um, and I was like, I'm here because I robbed somebody. And he goes, I know your case and I know what you did, and that shit was not cool. And I remember he said that to me, and I stopped for a minute, and I was just like, it made me think about it. Like, it made me think about, like, at first, all, at first, you know, first thought is always like, oh, this dude's tripping. He's whatever. But then I had to sit for a minute, and then I was like, dang, man, like, he's kind of right, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, and so um, I think I told you this before. Like, me and my buddy, um, Ted, we, um, we started seeing other dudes that had, like, they had more, like, uh, snacks and shit, and they were, like, playing Xbox and doing all this other shit. And I'm like... I'm like, man, I, I fucking kind of want to do that. Like, that shit was cool, you know? And so then we decided, all right, we're going to start doing what they want us to do. So we were doing what they wanted us to do, but not because it was the right thing to do, because there was a reward. Um, and so I think that lasted for a while um, for me. And then I think um, when I got to, I'd say like my, probably like my third year there, mm-hmm. I started to see like, how other people acted i started just like watching other people and then just the more i would see the pieces of me and the way that i used to act mm-hmm. i just be like man that shit is ugly bro like i don't want to be like that like i just don't i can't you know and so i started to really try to be intentional about what i was doing and, and change the way that i think and the way i was doing things but it was hard too because I still had stuff so deeply ingrained in me that like, this is who I am. This is, I'm a, you know, like I'm a felon, I'm a criminal, whatever. So it was, it's hard. Cause um, you know, you're, you're leaving one lifestyle to start another. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's especially hard to do that when you're still incarcerated because you're still in that other lifestyle. So there's things that you have to like distance yourself from and people you have to distance yourself from. And so um, I started, going to school i ended up finishing my ged i got my um they make you go to school all the time so like year round so i ended up getting my diploma too and then i started to do college classes and um once i started doing college classes um i started realizing like oh i can actually do this shit it's not it's not like as complex as i'm making it in my mind in my mind i was it was like oh you got to be smart you got to be this you know which is which is also another thing is like that growth mindset. When we mm-hmm. were younger, people didn't think about growth mindset. It was like you're either stupid or you're smart. You're either yep. good at this or you're not. Yep. There was no um there was no like thought into how effort changes outcomes. And so 
at the time, luckily for me, I was I was smart or I was able enough to like conceptualize like, okay, I just got to read these parts, answer these test questions, do this, you know, and then I started figuring it out. But um, that was when things really started to change for me because I started to learn. And then um, I ended up going to the work camp for like 16 months, the last 16 months, which mm-hmm. gave me a chance to start working and start like kind of integrating back in because because we're actually out doing jobs on at different spots and stuff so it gave me a chance to like start interacting with society a little bit and um i the first class i took that really i'll say the the class that really was like huge for me was i took sociology 101 intro to sociology and reading through sociology and um all the different frameworks and everything it just made it made my life make sense to me it was like whoa it was like okay so i see how you come in this environment Mm -hmm. You start to think this way. You start to, you know, you only see certain things. So you think these are the only things that exist, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, and it and it really like it helped me kind of make sense of my situation way more than any of the other treatment groups or any other thing I'd ever had to do. But taking that sociology class just broke it down for me and I was able to break it down. All right. So sociology, you started going to school for that. And then uh, I think you told me like a cool story last time during our first episode, you got to write one of your favorite rappers, right? Yeah. So like um, a big, like I was saying earlier, one of the biggest things to me, like when I'm talking about my story and being successful and how it's not fair to compare that to other people is different things happen. And I mean, support the support that you get can make a huge difference and so I was in school at this time like I said I started going to school and I was right and we had like a facility paper and so it was I was writing stories about different guys and I wanted to do music because I was always interested in music so people asked me to write stories about 50 Cent, Sibo, Eminem, Tupac, whatever and then I finally had a chance to do one that I just wanted to do so I was like I'm gonna I'm gonna write one about X-Rated because X-Rated was like who I looked up to when before I got incarcerated. So I, I just so happened to see the little I'm looking on I'm looking up on the internet all this stuff like about X-rated information, whatever. And I see it's like right X-rated at this, you know, whatever prison. And so I took that back with me. I had to hide it because they don't they don't <laughs> let you take shit back. So I'm like, you write it down real small. <laughs> Go take it back. Um but then I wrote him and uh I remember I was just like, I didn't know what to expect. I didn't have expectations, but um, then it was like three weeks later, I got a letter and it was like, you know, I remember one of the first things he said to me is like, he's like, I'm writing you back because of the way you present yourself on paper. He said, you're, you're smart, but never as smart as you think you are. He said, don't let people fool you with that. There's always something that you could learn. What's the name of Uncle Poochie's podcast? Six feet under. Six feet under. Hi.